Hello there. I'm David. And I read Wikipedia. And on this funny bunny Tuesday, I am going to read to you the article on Mary Toft, who you've no doubt heard of. Mary Toft, knee denya, knee, that's a funny word. Born somewhere around 1701, died in 1763. It's the 18th century or the 15th, 16th century, I don't know. Also spelled Tofts, was an English woman from Godalming, Surrey, who in 1726 became the subject of considerable controversy, controversy, when she tricked doctors into believing that she had given birth to rabbits. Some quick facts. We got a picture. She's got an annoying fat face. Terrible dress sense. She's holding a rabbit that she may or may not have just given birth to. She's sitting in a chair. She's black and white. She's sketched. It's not a photo. It's an engraving. It's based on a painting by John Laguerre in 1726. Mary Toft. Dislike her already. Born, Mary Denyer, died, 1763, nationality, English slash British, known for medical hoax. That's what I want on my gravestone. I want whatever's on my gravestone, I want it in table form. I want columns and rows, people. Columns and rows. In 1726, Toft became pregnant, but following her reported fascination with the sighting of a rabbit, she miscarried. Genuinely sad, her claim to have given birth to various animal parts prompted the arrival of John Howard, a local surgeon, who investigated the matter. Obviously went on to, you know. He delivered several pieces of animal flesh and duly notified other prominent physicians, which brought the case to the attention of Nathaniel St. Andre, surgeon to the royal household of King George I. St. Andre concluded that Toft's case was genuine, but the king also sent surgeon Siraeus Arles. Siraeus Arles. I'm just going to read that backwards to see if it means anything in reverse. Srela No. Who remained sceptical? That's Siraeus Arles remained sceptical. By then, quite famous, Toft was brought to London and studied at length, where, under intense scrutiny and producing no more rabbits, she confessed to the hoax and was subsequently imprisoned as a fraud. I wonder how long she waited. I wonder if she she was waiting to see if she would actually produce any more rabbits. And when she didn't, she realised that it must have been a hoax all along. The resultant public mockery created panic within the medical profession and ruined the careers of several prominent surgeons. The affair was satirised? Was satirised on many occasions not least by the political satirist and social critic William Hogarth, who was notably critical of the medical profession's gullibility. Toft was eventually released without charge and returned home. Account. 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 This is A-double-C-O-U-N-T, not a story about account. The story first came to the public's attention in late October 1726, when reports began to reach London. An account appeared in Mist's Weekly Journal on the... I don't know why that made me laugh. On 17th of November, 1726. We're about to look at a quote. From Guildford comes a strange but well-attested piece of news, capital P, capital N, that a poor woman who lives at Godlamin sick. Hey, sick is a hyperlink. (laughs) 
Near that town was about a month past delivered by Mr. John Howard, an eminent surgeon and man midwife, of a creature resembling a rabbit, but whose heart and lungs grew without, outside its belly. Makes no sense. About fourteen days since she was delivered by the same person of a perfect rabbit, and in a few days after of four more. On the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the fourth, fifth, and sixth instant, of one in each day. In all nine, apparently in 1726 they didn't have full stops, in all nine, they died all in bringing into the world. The woman hath made oath that two months ago, being working in a field with other women, they put up a rabbit, who running from them, they pursued it, but to no purpose. This created in her such a longing to it that she, being with child, was taken ill and miscarried, and from that time she hath not been able to avoid thinking of rabbits. People, after all, differ much in their opinion about this matter, some looking upon them as great curiosities, fit to be presented to the Royal Society, etc. Others are angry at the account, and say that if it be a fact, a veil should be drawn over it, as an imperfection in human nature. The Weekly Journal, 19th of November, 1726. Most confusing sentence if there was Nobel Prizes for confusing sentences. That'd be a, that'd be a Nobel Prize, Lorikeet. The poor woman, Mary Toft, was 24 or 25 years old. Like spellings of her surname, she had two ages. She was baptised Mary Denyer on the 21st of February 1703, the daughter of John and Jane Denyer. In 1720, she married Joshua Toft, a journeyman, clothier, and together. I just had the thought that I wanted to be a journeyman, perhaps as my next career choice. Clicked on it. It's not, it's not what you think it is. A journeyman, clothier, and together the couple had three children, Mary, Anne, and James. Mary and James, being rabbits, Anne was a hedgehog. As an 18th century English peasant, which I originally read as pheasant, I think it's just the whole family, it's a barnyard of a house. As an 18th century English peasant, circumstances dictated that when, in 1726, Toft again became pregnant, she continued working in the fields. She complained of painful complications early in the pregnancy and in early August, Egested several pieces of flesh, one as big as my arm. Shudder. This may have been the result of an abnormality of the developing placenta, which would have caused the embryo to stop developing and blood clots and flesh to be ejected. Toft went into labour on the 27th of September. Her neighbour was called and watched. All right. As she produced several animal parts, this neighbour then showed the pieces to her mother and to her mother-in-law, Anne Toft who by chance was a midwife. Anne Toft sent the flesh to John Howard, a Guildford-based man midwife of 30 years' experience. Would have thought that was a mid-husband, but nope, man midwife. Initially, Howard dismissed the notion that Toft had given birth to animal parts. Amazingly. But the next day, despite his reservations, he went to see her. To see for himself. Don't be sceptics, people. Someone says they did something utterly ridiculous. Whatever you do, don't be sceptical. It's a sign of a closed mind. Anne Toft showed him more pieces of the previous night's exertions, but on examining Mary, he found nothing. Look, I've checked around downstairs. There's no arms, there's no legs, there's no rabbits. When Mary again went into labour, appearing to give birth to several more animal parts, Howard returned to try and catch her in the act, to continue his investigations. According to a contemporary account of 9 November, over the next few days, he delivered three legs of a cat... <laughs> of a tabby colour, and one leg of a rabbit, spelt R-A-B-B-E-T. 
don't know if that's a typo, or ye old spelling. The guts were as a cat's, and in them were three pieces of the backbone of an eel. She's nothing if not varied. The cat's feet, supposed, were formed in her imagination from a cat she was fond of that slept on the bed at night. Toft seemingly became ill once more, and over the next few days, delivered more pieces of rabbit. She could have worked in a restaurant. As the story became more widely known, or wildly known, on the 4th of November, every Davenant, Davenant, a member of the court of King George I, went to see for himself what was happening. He examined the samples Howard had collected, and returned to London, ostensibly a believer. I would have left the word ostensibly out of that sentence. Strikes me as somewhat superfluous. Howard and Toft moved to Guildford, where he offered to deliver rabbits in the presence of anyone who doubted her story. Some of the letters he wrote to Davenant to notify him of any progress in the case came to the attention of Nathaniel St. Andre, since 1723, a Swiss surgeon to the royal household. St. Andre would ultimately detail the contents of one of these letters in his pamphlet, a short narrative of an extraordinary delivery of rabbits, 1727. Back then, they did not have colons everywhere in titles of things. But to confirm, he spelt rabbits R-A-B-B-E-T-S, which I suggest we bring back as the predominant spelling of the word rabbits. This is from his pamphlet that has no colon in its title. goes for, for quite some time. It's by John Howard. I hereby suggest that all quotes should start with the name of the person that made the quote, not put it at the end. Sir, says John Howard, since I wrote to you, I have taken or delivered the poor woman of three more rabbits, all three half-grown, one of them a dun rabbit. That's D-U-N-N, not, not done as in it's finished cooking. The last lipped twenty-three hours in the uterus before it died. As soon as the eleventh rabbit was taken away, up leaped the twelfth rabbit, which is now leaping. If you have any curious person that is pleased to come post, may see another leap in her uterus, and shall take it from her if he pleases which will be a great satisfaction to the curious. If she had been with child, she has but ten days more to go, so I do not know how many rabbits may be behind. I wonder if he was checking from the, for them coming out from the behind as well. I have brought the woman to Guildford for better convenience. I am, sir, your humble servant, John Howard. Wow. I know there's this whole historical relativism business going on, but that's stupid. That's just dumb. All right. Investigation. We got a picture. It's, um... Oh, I don't know how to describe this man. He is sad as all get out. He's dressed awfully. He's Oh, he's got a triangle hat. He's got a triangle hat under his arm. Sorry if I got you excited. It's not on his noggin. It's under his arm. He's got a wig, uh, wig like judges and um, ye old people. He's got his hands out like he's ready. It's like he's ready to kung fu you. He's ready for anything. It's Nathaniel, St. Andre, St. Andre. No apostrophe over the E. Oh, and then in brackets below, Rabbit Doctor. If that's not the name of a TV show, I don't know what is. Nathaniel, St. Andre, Rabbit Doctor. Oh, we got another picture. Jesus Christ, this man. It's like if the Tin Man was gay, That it's that's the body. The body is of, of a gay Tin Man. And the head of fairly average head. Nothing, nothing to note of the head. Long hair down to his what I suppose would be about nipple area on his chest. And his left hand is either on someone's knee, a gay lover perhaps, judging by his clothing, or just the arm of his chair. Ooh, it's King George. Ooh, he'd have me killed if he were alive today. 
By the middle of November, the British royal family were so interested in the story that they sent Saint André and Samuel Molyneux, secretary to the Prince of Wales, to investigate. Apparently they were not disappointed. Arriving on 15 November, they were taken by Howard to Seatoft, who within hours delivered a rabbit's torso. Reliable. Because you know it's embarrassing when you go, come over and watch this, and someone comes over and you go, come on, come on. No, I swear, normally when I start singing, the dog starts singing too. He just must be nervous because you're here. But no, not Mary Toft. Come over and I'll deliver a rabbit. People come over, she delivers a rabbit. St. Andre's account details his examination of the rabbit. Details his examination of the rabbit. It's another way to intonate that. To check if it had breathed air, he placed a piece of its lung in water to see if it would float which it did. It's a witch! St. Andre then performed a medical examination on Toft and concluded that the rabbits were bred in her fallopian tubes. Gross. In the doctor's absence, Toft later that day reportedly delivered the torso of another rabbit. Damn it, I should have from the start made the conscious decision to pronounce it wabbit instead of rabbit. Alright, from here on out. In the doctor's absence, Toft later that day reportedly delivered the torso of another wabbit, which the two also examined. They again returned that evening to find Toft again displaying violent contractions. A further medical examination followed, and St. Andre delivered some wabbit skin, followed a few minutes later by the wabbit's head. <laughs> Both men inspected the ingested pieces of flesh, noting that some resembled the body parts of a cat. Kitty parts. Some resembled kitty parts. Were these too high? Were these two also like Doctors in Meth or something? Doctors in Meth. It's another TV show for you. Fascinated, the king then sent surgeon Syriacus Arlers to Guildford. Arlers arrived on 20 November and found Toft exhibiting no signs of pregnancy. He may have already suspected the affair was a hoax and observed that Toft seemed to press her knees and thighs together as if to prevent something from dropping down. He thought Howard's behaviour just as suspicious, as the man midwife would not let him help deliver the wabbits. Although Arles was not a man midwife, and in an earlier attempt he apparently put Toft through considerable pain. Convinced the affair was a hoax, he lied, telling those involved that he believed Toft's story. Quite the ploy, before making his excuses and returning to London, taking specimens of the wabbits with him. Upon closer study, he reportedly found evidence of them having been cut with a man-made instrument and noted pieces of straw and grain in their droppings. On 21 November, maybe she had straw and grain in her stomach, in her fallopian tubes. In her stomach. That's the, my four-year-old understanding of pregnancy coming forward. On 21 November, I'm really not happy with this way of putting dates. On November 21, Arles reported his findings to the king and later to several persons of note and distinction doing terribly with my intonation today. That should have gone down as well. Several persons of note and distinction. Howard wrote to Arles the next day, asking for the return of his specimens, as he was hungry. Arles' suspicions began to worry both Howard and St. Andre, and apparently the king, as two days later, St. Andre and a colleague were ordered back to Guildford. Upon their arrival, they met Howard, who told St. Andre that Toft had given birth to two more wabbits. She delivered several portions of what was presumed to be placenta, but she was by then quite ill, suffering from a constant pain in the right side of her abdomen. In a preemptive move against Arles, St. Andre collected affidavits from several witnesses, which in effect cast doubt on Arles' honesty. And on, 26 November, on November 26, 
gave an anatomical demonstration before the king to support Toft's story. According to his pamphlet, neither St. Andre nor Molyneux suspected any fraudulent activity. St. Andre was ordered by the king to travel back to Guildford and to bring Toft to London, so that further investigations could be carried out. He was accompanied by Richard Manningham, a well-known obstetrician, who was knighted in 1721, and the second son of Thomas Manningham, Bishop of Chichester. He examined Toft and found the right side of her abdomen slightly enlarged. Manningham also delivered what he thought was a hog's bladder, although St. Andre and Howard disagreed with his identification. Was no one not an idiot? But became suspicious as it smelled of urine. Nevertheless, those involved agreed to say nothing in public, and on their return to London on November 29, lodged Toft in Lacey's Bagneo in Leicester Fields. Examination! And we've got a picture! Oh my word, I think it's Mary Toft, on her back, legs akimbo, floor littered with rabbits. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people in the room. It's a regular little get-together. There is a caption. And the caption is Hogarth's Caniculari, or The Wise Men of Godlyman in Consultation, 1726. This is still in the caption. St. Andre described Toft as possessing a healthy, strong constitution of a small size, fair complexion, of a very stupid and sullen temper, she can neither write nor read, and her husband as a poor journeyman clothier at Godlyman, by whom she has had three children. End of caption. For the record, Godlyman spelt in two different ways in that paragraph. Printed in the early days of newspapers, the story became a national sensation, although some publications were sceptical. Oh, good on them. The Norwich Gazette, viewing the affair simply as female gossip. Wabbit stew and jugged hair disappeared from the dinner table. While as unlikely as the story sounded, many physicians felt compelled to see Toft for themselves. The political writer John Hervey later told his friend Henry Fox that, quote, Every creature in town, both men and women, have been to see and feel her. The perpet- that, well, there's a motive right there. She wanted every man and woman in town to come and feel her. The perpetual emotions, noises, and rumblings in her belly are something prodigious. All the eminent physicians, surgeons, and mad midwives in London are there day and night to watch her next production. John Hervey, comma, second Baron Hervey. End quote. Did I already say end quote? I don't know. Under St. Andre's strict control, Toft was studied by a number of eminent physicians and surgeons, including John Morbray. In The Female Physician, which I imagine is some sort of journal, Morbray had proposed women could give birth to a creature he named the Sutikin. Now, I just simply cannot resist the blueness of the word Sutikin there. Yeah, there's a Wikipedia article for Sutikin. Let's start reading, see where it leads us. A Sutikin is a fabled small creature about the size of a mouse that certain women were believed to have been capable of giving birth to. Wow. The origin of this initially jocular fantasy lies in the 18th century, and some eminent physicians of the day considered it factual. It is attributed to a tendency of Dutch women to frequently sit on stoves or use them under their petticoats to keep warm, hence causing the breeding of a small kind of animal that would mature and be born. All right. If I scroll down a bit, there's a reference to Mary Toft in there. Methinks the stories are intertwined. 
Back to Mary Toft. Uh, to recap, in The Female Physician, Morbury had proposed that women could give birth to a creature named a Sutakin, which you, dear listener, now know all about. If it pops up in an email at work tomorrow, you will know what a Sutakin is. He was a proponent of maternal impression, a widely held belief that conception and pregnancy could be influenced by what the mother dreamt or saw, and warned pregnant women that over-familiarity with household pets could cause their children to resemble those pets. See, I get frustrated in 2016 hearing the idiocy of people talking about anti-vaccination stuff. I would have been such an angry person in 1726. I'd be screaming at everyone, how can you believe these things? I'd probably just give in and give birth to a couple of wabbits myself. Men can give birth as well if they're too close to a stove. (sighs) Nonsensical rant over. He was reportedly happy to attend Toft, pleased that her case appeared to vindicate his theories. Do you know what, if Mary Toft was, like, super hot, this would all make a lot more sense. But mad midwife James Douglas, like Manningham, presumed that the affair was a hoax, and despite St Andre's repeated invitations, kept his distance. Douglas was one of the country's more respected anatomists, and a well-known mad mid... Man... I had trouble saying man midwife... Douglas was one of the country's most respected anatomists and well-known mid-husband, whereas St. Andre was often considered to be a member of the court only because of his ability to speak the king's native German. St. Andre, therefore, desperately... This would make a lot more sense if St. Andre was, like, super hot. St. Andre, therefore, desperately wanted the two to attend Toft. After George I's accession to the throne, the Whigs had become the dominant political faction, and Manningham and Douglas's Whig affiliations and medical knowledge, might have elevated his status as both doctor and philosopher. Douglas thought that a woman giving birth to rabbits was as likely... Oh, damn it. Douglas thought that a woman giving birth to wabbits was as likely as a wabbit giving birth to a human child, but despite his... Now, that's silly. There's a size difference there that you've got to take into account before saying these things. But despite his scepticism, he went to see her. When Manningham informed him of the suspected hog's bladder, and after he examined Toft, he refused to engage St. Andre on the matter. We've got a quote. I'm going to do you the favour of scrolling down to the end of the quote and telling you who it was by so that you have the context necessary to fully understand. There's an end to that sentence. I just don't know what it is. James Douglas, the following quote is by. To be able to determine to the satisfaction... I'm going to do an accent. Why not? To be able to determine to the satisfaction and conviction of all sorts of persons... Other arguments were necessary that anatomy or any other branch of physics. Oh my god, he spelt it physic. P H Y, sick. And then in brackets, square brackets, sick. Oh, this is confusing. I'm going to start again because no one's listening. Not least of all me. To be able to determine to the satisfaction and conviction of all sorts of persons, other arguments were necessary than anatomy or other branch of physics could furnish. Of these, the greatest numbers are not judges. It was therefore undoubtedly very natural for me to desire that people would suspend any further judgment for a little time, till such proofs could be brought of the imposture as they required. I should probably read that backwards just to see if it makes more sense. People didn't make sense in 1726. We've finished with a quote, and uh, we got a little sentence here. Under constant supervision, Toft went into labour several times to no avail. Confession is a heading that I I think we've all been hoping for. 
A hoax was uncovered on 4 December. Thomas Onslow, 2nd Baron Onslow, had begun an investigation of his own and discovered that for the past month, Toff's husband, Joshua, had been buying young wabbits. Convinced he had enough evidence to proceed, in a letter to physician Sir Hans Sloan, he wrote that the affair had almost alarmed England and that he would soon publish his findings. The same day, Thomas Howard, a porter at the Bagneo, confessed to Justice of the Peace Sir Thomas Clargy's Clargs, Clargs, that he had been bribed by Toff's sister-in-law, Margaret, to sneak a wabbit into Toff's chamber. Is that what they called it back then? When arrested and questioned, Mary denied the accusation, while Margaret, under Douglas's interrogation, claimed that she had obtained the wabbit for eating only. For going insies, not outsies. I told my sister, this is a quote by Mary Toft, I told my sister of having, how much do you love knowing who the quote was right at the start? It's the way of the future. I told my sister of my having sent for a wabbit, and I desired her to give it to the porter to be carried away, which my sister did, saying she would not have it known for £1,000. Manningham examined Toft and thought something remained in the cavity of her uterus, and so he successfully persuaded Clargy's to allow her to remain at the Bagneo. Bagneo? I feel like I'm saying that wrong, and everyone but me knows how to say it properly. Douglas, who had by then visited Toft, questioned her on three or four occasions, each time for several hours. After several days of this, Manningham threatened to perform a painful operation on her, and on the 7th of December, in the presence of Manningham, Douglas, John Montego, and Frederick Calvert, Toft finally confessed. I bet that was a load off. A load off your shoulders, off your mind, and out of your chambers. Following her miscarriage, and while her cervix permitted access, gross, an accomplice had inserted into her womb the claws and body of a cat, and the head of a rabbit. They had also invented a story in which Toft claimed that during her pregnancy, and while working in a field, she had been startled by a rabbit, oh damn it, she had been startled by a rabbit, and had since become obsessed with wabbits. For later parturitions, animal parts had been inserted into her vagina. Parturitions is a new word for me. If you know what parturitions means, go to www.davidreadswikipedia and tell me. Pressured again by Manningham and Douglas, it was the latter who took her confession, she made a further admission on the 8th of December, and another the next day on the 9th of December, before being sent to Tothill Fields Bridewell, charged on a statute of Edward I.I.I., capital I, capital I, capital I, as the vile cheat and imposter. In her earlier unpublished confessions, she blamed the entire affair on a range of other participants, from her mother-in-law to John Howard. She also claimed that a travelling woman told her how to insert the rabbits into her body, and how such a scheme would ensure that she would never want as long as I lived. The British Journal reported that on January 7, 1727, she appeared at the Courts of Quarter Sessions in Westminster, charged for being <laughs> charged for being an abominable cheat. Damn that word, damn that word to hell. An abominable cheat, an imposter in pretending to be delivered of several monstrous births. Margaret Toft had remained staunch and refused to comment further. Mist's Weekly Journal of twenty fourth of december seventeen twenty six reported that the nurse has been examined as to the persons concerned with her but either was kept in the dark as to the imposition, or is not willing to disclose what she knows. That rhymes. For nothing can be got from her, so that her resolution shocks others. Afterbirth, I mean aftermath, is a heading. And we got another picture. It is, I suspect, in a train station or 
like a stock exchange or of it looks like the courtroom from Franz Kafka's The Trial. Franz Frank. The tr- anyway, it's not important. Uh, there's just a lot of shit going on in that picture. I don't think any of it's very important. We got another picture. It's a um, it's a comic book. There's twelve squares. I imagine it tells some sort of story. A lot of text for a comic. Quite ornate drawing as well for a, for a comic. Let me um, let me see if we can work out what happens. I'm going to assume that the squares go left to right. Okay, there is a man and a woman and two girls, and they're all dancing. Then they go out into the fields where one woman chases a rabbit and another woman goes, you go, girl. Then in the third thing, she's lying in bed and there's a, um angel there and he's going, you go, girl. Uh, then in the next bit, she's in court and there's two men playing rock, scissor, papers to see who will check for the next rabbit. Then there's a dark man in the shadows walking towards her in the chair saying, are you sure about this rabbit business? Now she's back in bed. She's lying down. She's had a couple of couple of rabbits. There's a man in a leopard print onesie at the end of the bed. And he's going, I'm a leopard. Uh, now the leopard is on the ground going, rah, rah, I really am a leopard. Then in the next scene, the leopard's behind a desk. And he's talking to two men. And he's going, look, on the table in front of me, there is parts of a of various animals. A hog's stomach and some rabbit's feet. Now the leopard onesie guy is at a poker table saying, hey, can I play? And they're going, no, no, just no. Now there's a woman teaching a bunch of other women how to walk properly. She's going, put your arms out like this, put your elbows further out and hook your handbag over there and that's how you walk like a lady. Uh, Now there's two girls walking into public bathrooms to put their makeup on and get pretty and talk about their dates that are waiting outside, perhaps getting them drinks. And they've walked in on two women. One of them's having a haircut. And they're going, what are you doing having your haircut in the bathroom? That's an unusual thing to do. And then in the final thing of this little cartoon, there's a woman sitting on a stool looking real lonely and sad and stupid. And the three people are walking out of the bathroom. The woman who was getting her haircut has left with the two girls to go back and meet a guy that was going to show up with the two friends. They've got, like, there's going to be a third guy. He's just going to be a fifth wheel. Why don't you stop having your haircut? Come out with us, we'll all have a good time, and we can leave the person that was cutting your hair sitting in the bathroom. Screw her. Alright, that was that was a hell of a picture. Following the hoax, the medical profession's gullibility became the target of a great deal of public mockery, as it well should have. William Hogarth published Cunicularii, or The Wise Men of Godlyman in Consultation, which portrays Toft in the throes of labour, surrounded by the tale's chief's participants, Figures F is Toft, E is her husband, A is San Andre, and D is Howard. Did all of that in one breath. In Dennis Todd's three characters in Hogarth's Cuniculari and some implications, the author concludes that the figure G is Mary Toft's sister-in-law, Margaret Toft. Thinking it was going to say a a wabbit. Toft's confession on the 7th of December demonstrates her insistence that her sister-in-law played no part in the hoax. But Manningham's 1726 An Exact Diary... Oh no, wait, still going with the italics. An exact diary of what was observed during the close attendance upon Mary Toft, the pretended wabbit breeder of Goldaming in Surrey, that's the name of some sort of publication, offers eyewitness testimony of her complicity. Hogarth's print was not the only image that ridiculed the affair. George Virtue published The Surrey Wonder and The Doctor's Labour, or A New Windman and Guildford. Oh, that's the 12 plates that I just that I just ran you through. 
A broadsheet published in 1727, which satirises St André, was also popular at the time. What a mess of a sentence. The timing of Toff's confession proved awkward for St André, talking like Christopher Walken through that sentence for no real reason, who on 3 December had published his 40-page pamphlet, a short narrative of an extraordinary delivery of wabbits. On this document, the surgeon had staked his reputation. Goose. And although it offers a more empirical account of the Toft case than earlier, more fanciful publications about reproduction in general, ultimately it was derided. Ahlers, his scepticism justified, published some observations concerning the woman of Godlyman in Surrey, which details an account of events and his suspicion of the complicity of both St. Andre and Howard. I would have called it complicity or idiocy. Colon, the St. Andre and Howard story. St. Andre recanted his views on the 9th of December. Ah, now I feel like a drink. St. Andre recanted his views on the 9th of December in 1726. In 1729, following the death of Samuel Molyneux from poisoning, he married Molyneux's widow, Elizabeth. This did little to impress his peers. So Elizabeth was not much to look at. Molyneux's cousin accused him of the poisoning, a charge that St. Andre defended by suing for defamation. But the careers of St. Andre and his wife were permanently damaged. Elizabeth lost her attendance on Queen Caroline, and St. Andre was publicly humiliated at court. Living on Elizabeth's considerable wealth, they retired to the country, where St. Andre died in 1776, aged 96. Wow. Manningham, desperate to exculpate himself, exculpate, people don't use words like exculpate. I don't know what exculpate means. No one knows what exculpate means. Manningham, desperate to exculpate himself, published a diary of his observations of Mary Toft, together with an account of her confession of the fraud on the 12th of December. In it, he suggested that Douglas had been fooled by Toft, and concerned with his image, Douglas replied by publishing his own account, the equivalent of a YouTube reaction video. Using the pseudonym Lover of Truth and Learning, in 1727, Douglas also published The Sutican Dissected. A letter to Morbray, Douglas was scathingly critical of his Sutican theory, calling it a mere fiction of your brain. He could have said your theory is opposed by reality. The damage done to the medical profession was such that several doctors not connected with the tale felt compelled to print statements that they had not believed Toff's story. To little avail, I imagine. On 7 January 1727 a mere fifty years before the date with the most sevens, John Howard and Toft appeared before the bench where Howard was fined 800 pounds, 106,000 in today's dollars. In today's dollars. <laughs> he returned to Surrey and continued his practice. He died in 1755. Crowds reportedly mobbed Tothill Fields in Bridwell for months, hoping to catch a glimpse of the now infamous Toft. By this time she had become quite ill, and while incarcerated, had her portrait drawn by John Laguerre. She was ultimately discharged on the 8th of April, 1727, and it was unclear as to what charge should have been made against her. Being a bit of a goose, it was not an official charge. They should have made her put all of the faux parts back. The Toft family made no profit from the affair, and Mary Toft returned to Surrey. She had a daughter in February, 1727, and reappeared briefly in 1740 when she was imprisoned for receiving stolen goods, but her death was reported in 1763. We got a picture of the man with the skinniest legs ever. I thought I had skinny legs, he has skinnier legs. In the background, there's a picture of people playing ping pong with swords. 
The case was cited by Robert Walpole's opponents as symbolising the age, which they perceived as greedy, corrupt and deceitful. One author, writing to the Prince of Wales's mistress, suggested that the story was a political portent of the approaching death of the Prince's father. Hell does that even mean? On the 7th of January 1927, Mist's Weekly Journal satirised the matter, making several allusions to political change and comparing the affair to the events of 1641 when Parliament began its revolution against King Charles I. The scandal provided the writers of Grub Street with enough material to produce pamphlets, squibs, broadsides and ballads for several months. With publications such as St Andre's Miscarriage and The Anatomist Dissected, or The Man Midwife, The Man Husband, The Midhusband, finally brought to bed. Satirists scorned the objectivity of men midwives and... Cri- it's interesting, the plural of man midwife is men midwives. <laughs> and critics of Toff's attendance questioned their integrity, undermining their profession with naughty jokes and allusions. The case raised questions about England's status as an enlightened nation. Voltaire used the case in his brief essay Singularities de la Nature to describe how the Protestant English was still influenced by an ignorant church. Voltaire 1, Church 0. Toft did not escape the ire of the satirists, who concentrated mainly on sexual innuendo. Some took advantage of a common 18th century word for a wabbit twack, prick, prick seriously. Prick is a word that means rabbit track. And others were scatological in nature, one of my favourite words. However, much ado about nothing, or a plain refutation of all that has been written or said concerning the wabbit woman of Goldalming, 1727. Oh my god, that's a publication name with a semicolon in it. Ask and ye shall receive. He's one of the more cutting satires on Toft. The document supposes to be the confession of Mary Tuft, in her own style and spelling. Poking fun at her illiteracy, it makes a number of obscene suggestions hinting at her promiscuity. I was... This is all spelt incorrectly, so you're not... That's not really going to come across, so hopefully there's more humour to it than just the incorrect spelling. I was a woman... I'm going to read it like a like if I couldn't read. I was a woman as had great natural parts and a large capacity and capable of being concerned in deep contrivances. I'm sure it was hilarious in 1727. We've split some sides back then. The document also ridicules several of the physicians involved in the affair and reflects the general view portrayed by the satirists that Toft was a weak woman and the least complicit of the offenders, regardless of her guilt. The notion contrasts with that expressed of her before the hoax was revealed and may indicate an overall strategy to disempower Toft completely. This is reflected in one of the most notable satires of the affair, Alexander Pope and William Pulteney's anonymous satirical ballad the Discovery, semicolon, or The Squares Turned Ferret. Published in 1726 and aimed at Samuel Molyneux, it rhymes hair with hair and coney with cunny. The ballad opens with the following verse. Most true it is, I dare to say, ever since the days of Eve, the weakest woman sometimes may, the wisest man deceive. What an end to this article. A great little poem. So, we are done. So if you have a fallopian tube inhabitant that you would like to would like to invite some men over to come and watch you um, squeeze it out, head on over to davidreadswikipedia.com 
find your way to this article, click I want to comment, click I accept the terms and conditions, enter in your name and email address and password, type in the incredibly blurry letters that you see in the picture that appears, maybe of a street sign showing someone's house address, maybe from a scanned book, you never know, and tell us all about it, tell us how it feels. To have a bunny in the oven, oh that's a funny joke, to have a bunny in the oven. I'm also on Twitter, so so that's a thing. Ah, oh, shit, I almost forgot. My new outro. How could I have almost forgotten? I haven't prepared. Luckily, there's such a thing as... There's such a thing as editing. Although, you, you might as well keep listening. As I go to the Wikipedia article for hijackings between the United States and Cuba. The year is 1966. The month is February, the day is 21. Lawrence Rhodes hijacked Delta Airlines Flight 843, a DC-8, from Tampa, Florida, to Cuba, with 108 other crew and passengers aboard, including golfer Barbara Romack. Barbara wishing she had her clubs with her, no doubt. She could have taken him down with a four-iron or a putter, which are both types of golf bats. Cuban authorities provided the passengers with lemonade, coffee, cigarettes, and pictures of Che Guevara. So if they were in the air, does that mean that they had all that ready to go? Would they have given it to them if they hadn't been hijacked? Or is there like a panic box that's just got lemonade, coffee, cigarettes and pictures of Che Guevara in it? And the plane was released after three hours. Rhodes surrendered in Spain on February 10th, 1970. In 71, he was charged with hijacking, it was dismissed, he was committed to a mental institution, and then later he went to jail for robbery. We're still in 1966, it's now October 23, and Alan Truitt, the grandson of a former US Vice President, Alan Barclay, hijacks a Cessna, little baby Cessna, Key West, headed to Cuba. He returns via Canada, which is quite the flight. I wonder if he did it all in the little Cessna 177. He returned in 1969, sentenced to 20 years for aircraft piracy, and 20 years back when piracy didn't mean downloading a movie, and 20 years for kidnapping, to run consecutively. Serves him right, I say. It's 1969, two Americans, a man and a woman, one of each, hijack a DC-8 from New York to Cuba. The man was killed, and the woman is still a fugitive. And I'd like to think still misses her husband. Oh no, it doesn't say husband and wife. They could have. It could have been a platonic relationship. There is nothing wrong with a platonic... No, there is. It's weird to have a male-female platonic relationship. It's weird. Think of the partners, people. Think of the partners. So I'm going to add to the earlier if you have a um, bunny in the oven and say that if you hijacked a DC-8 from New York to Cuba on the 2nd of January 1969 and you would like to tell us if the man you were with was, uh, if there was anything going on there, if there was any funny business, if you were in a romantic relationship, if you were going steady at the time, you can go to the address that I mentioned earlier and follow the prompts on screen. I'll have something set up just for you. Bye.